Welcome to the Christian Drummers Podcast, discussing the art of drumming to the glory of Almighty God. Howdy friends and Merry Christmas. I'm recording today on the sixth day of Christmas, so remember there's six more to go, so no slacking. I'm sure a lot of y'all were burnt out on Christmas before Christmas Eve. I know we have special concerts and pageants and extra rehearsals and special service and all of that. And it's easy to get burned out. But remember, the incarnation of the Son of God is worth a celebration that goes all the way to Epiphany. All right. Well, today is our first real episode, and um, we have some actual content. We're going to start with a theology segment discussing dominion and drumming. I'm going to start with an article that I wrote for HM Magazine and then kind of flesh that out a little bit with some extra thoughts. In our more practical segment, we're going to talk about volume and volume issues and the things that put us behind plexiglass and what can we do to hopefully get out of the bubble. Um, I want to talk about some fundamentals of rhythm especially for those of y'all who don't read. And I'm going to include a download of a PDF worksheet on the podcast page of my website, johnnydrums.com. And um, then we'll talk a little bit more about how we can connect and start getting some questions and some comments and start addressing that. Um, I would love to hear from y'all and start forming a community around this thing. So let's get started. Okay, so a number of years ago, I wrote a series of columns, and I was starting with a theological study called Dominion and Drumming. I think it'd probably be helpful for me to just read through the first column, and then I'm going to backtrack and flesh that out a little bit more. So, before we begin to actually study the art of drumming, it's useful to lay down some guiding principles in order to have a clear understanding of what we are doing and why we are doing it. I ask you then to bear with me during these initial columns. We will get to the actual licks and tricks in due time. All of man's activity begins with the dominion mandate given to our first father, Adam. He was told to subdue the earth. This commandment was reiterated to our father, Noah, after the flood. Mankind, as God's vice-regent, is to lay hold of the creation and to order it to his glory. The Lord Jesus reiterated this mandate in the Great Commission, as he instructed us to disciple the nations. St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, tells us that whatever we do, we are to do to God's glory. Here, then, are the foundational principles guiding not only our drumming, but everything else. But as drummers... We take hold of the creatures of time, space, sound, rhythm, and matter, as well as the cultural creations of music, style, art, and aesthetics. Through the use of our God-given and redeemed wills, we seek to impose order on these things in such a manner that God is glorified and well-pleased. This is what we are doing ultimately when we pick up the sticks and begin to study drumming. It's a huge responsibility. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy it, and it doesn't mean we have to go about it with grim, solemn faces on all the time. But we ought never to be flippant about it. We ought not settle for doing it half-heartedly. Keeping these principles in mind will get you through the tough times to come, 
those days when you just don't feel like practicing or when nothing seems to go right at a gig or a worship service. Remember, you are doing it to God's glory. You are spreading Christ's dominion over the, over the culture. You, sitting in your little room, running through some grueling exercise for the millionth time, are advancing the kingdom of heaven. How cool is that? So that was the article. So I want to back up and maybe explain some of those things because I, I just kind of, you know, ran roughshod over them. So starting with the creation, okay? God creates, but he creates us in his image, right? Therefore, we're a sub-creator as we imitate God. So we do what he does. We don't create out of nothing, obviously, but we can only lay hold of the rest of creation and order it to his glory. That's what he told us to do. And throughout this phrase, I said that God reigns, but man is vice regent. Now, that's a, that's a term a lot of theologians use to talk about the station that Adam was given after the creation. You know, he was made in God's image. The rest of the creation was not. And God told him to fill the earth and to subdue it. And that meant that he was supposed to take dominion over the world and order it as he was taught in the garden. He was supposed to turn this brand new world. It, wild is not the right term, but it, it, was a, it was a world that had not yet been ordered the way that the garden was. God planted a garden and he put Adam in it and he showed him what to do, right? And he was supposed to learn from that and take that out into the whole world. And this all begins with what theologians call the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate. Um, Remember that the Lord told Adam to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it and then to rule over the fish and over the birds and over every living thing, etc., etc. But he was to fill the earth and he was to subdue it. And then again, after the flood... God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's just kind of a reiteration of what they already knew had been told to Adam. So God was kind of restating this. And then Jesus comes along, and uh, after accomplishing our salvation and our redemption and um, being granted all authority in heaven and earth, what does he tell us to do? He tells us to disciple the nations. And that means a lot more than just discipling a few people out of every country. What he's saying there is to disciple all the nations. And he's telling us to teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. Well, lest we forget, Jesus is God, and he commanded everything from Genesis 1 onward. Those are the things that he's commanded. And so that dominion mandate is part of the package. And it would have been clear in the apostles' minds that, you know, he was kind of telling them, once again, to kind of fill the earth and subdue it. So this has implications for what we do as drummers. Now, each one of us has a calling. We have a vocation. That's a very very Protestant, very puritanical way of looking at ordinary life. But it's true. no matter what you've been given to do, you've been given that by God, and you're supposed to do it under submission to Christ and according to his commandments. And so each one of us in our calling has an area of the creation over which we are to exercise that dominion. Um, 
think about if there had been no fall and Adam is given this task, well, as he had more and more children, each one of them would would specialize and they would have the things that they were good at. And we see that even in fallen humanity, but each one is given something that he's to do and he's to do that to the glory of God and he's exercising that sub-dominion under Christ over that little part of the world. Well, for you and I, a good chunk of that part of the world that we've been placed in involves music and it involves drumming, it involves rhythm, it involves sound, and we're going to order that part of the creation to the glory of God. That way we show forth the image of God in an accurate, um, glorifying way to Him. You know, when we do it skillfully and well and without sin, and, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, submission to Christ, we are being like Him and we are being sub-creators to basically praise his act in creation. Now that has implications for our training, for our aesthetics, for our performances, and all of those things. And we're going to develop that as we go on. But um, just think about it in terms of even in my study of drumming, I want to do that to the glory of God. Even in my concept of what's beautiful and what isn't, well, that has to be in accord with what God thinks is beautiful or presents to us or reveals to us as beautiful and things like that. So we'll get into that in columns to come. But in the meantime, as you practice, I want you to think about the dominion mandate and think about even though we're still struggling, even though we're still dealing with the curse and the creation is going to fight back when you try to practice and things like that, keep in mind that what you're doing is patiently, like a mustard seed growing, like leaven through the lump, you are ordering and bringing under your redeemed will that part of the creation that God has placed you over. So, have fun with that. All right, now turning towards more practical issues, let's talk about the drum bubble. If you're like me, you really don't like being behind plexiglass. You know, besides the fact that it makes the drums sound worse, and it does, it makes them sound worse. They they may sound more controlled, but they sound worse. Um, It also makes the band lose its vibe, you know, because... At least one member of the band is now in another room. And it's hard for you to react and and interreact with the band. And it's it's hard for them to vibe with you because you're cut off from them. and, And it's just bad. But you have to be fair to the people who came up with this idea. A lot of it happened because a lot of us can't control our dynamics. You know, um... It could be that you kind of came up as more of a garage band type drummer and all you know is hit them as hard as you can. It could also be that the space that the drums have been placed into was actually designed to amplify 
unamplified music, you know, like a, a traditional nave with a stone floor and a wooden roof is designed to amplify a choir and, you know, put a snare drum into that and it's going to be very hard to deal with. Um, it might be that the actual architecture of the chancel is such that the drums are just terribly close to vocal mics. And I understand all that, but sometimes it's just our fault. Let's be honest. Um, so what are some things we can do to address that issue? And what are some ways that we might be able to contribute towards getting us out of the little aquarium and back into the band and, um, start having a better sound to everything, a more cohesive sound rather than, um, I don't know, sounding like some studio in the seventies or something. Well, the first thing is we, you know, the, the obvious thing most people go to is muffling, smaller drums, playing with rods and things like that. And that can work if, if the drummer is not able to play with dynamics, you know, you can, make the drum size smaller, like a lower, a smaller kick, um, even a smaller snare, um, darker and smaller cymbals, faster crashes and that kind of thing. And you can play with rods, but you know, rods completely change the sound of a drum. Um, especially if you're going with just straight wooden dowels, it's not going to sound like a stick only quieter. It's not made to. Those things are designed to sound like and in between of brushes and a stick. And that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get the kind of fatness that a stick brings out of a drum head. We all know that. Um, a lot of other people don't. So <laughs> if you're one of them listening, it doesn't sound like a stick. Um, there are some rods that are better. You know, like I personally tend to use the Steve Smith Tala Wand from Vic Firth because it has a little more beef to it. And it doesn't give you that ticky sound on the snare drum. Um, but... You know, that, that's simply just a quick fix. If you're okay with the fact that the drums aren't going to sound like, you know, fat recorded drums, um, you know, that's the easiest way. But uh, And then, of course, there's the electronic route. And a lot of churches went with that initially. You know, they, they I've played a lot of V-drums, and I'm sure you have too. And electronics are certainly an option. Um, I find that and I'll talk about this more when we talk about church gear, but I find that churches that incorporate electronics never really take advantage of the electronics for what they're designed to do, you know, and that's always a drag. But what are some things you and I can do to maybe start getting ourselves out of, out of the bubble? Um, it's real tempting, and, and let me tell you, I do this. Usually when I find myself in the drum bubble, I just rock out because I figure, okay, they're going to cut me off assuming I'm just going to bash the drums. Okay, I'm just going to bash the drums. I might as well enjoy it, right? And I like to play hard, especially if we're doing, um, if you're doing some kind of big anthemic rock. I, I like to, you know, I like to hit the drums with authority. But what if we, what if we're not in a situation where we can do that? What if we're trying to get out of the bubble? Well, key to this is knowing your dynamic levels. So for those of you who don't think in terms of formal music, Let's just talk about this. There are six formal dynamic um, markings that you'll find in sheet music. They start with pianissimo, which means very, very soft. Piano, soft. 
mezzo piano, mezzo means medium, so medium soft, then mezzo forte, forte is loud, so medium loud, and as a gauge, I would say, when you just sit down and start playing, call that your mezzo forte, okay? Then forte, which simply means loud, then fortissimo, which means very loud. Now, some composers, to be a smart aleck, will, you know, mark things with three P's instead of two for pianissimo, or three F's instead of two for fortissimo. Um, But traditionally, there's really six levels that we deal with. So what you can do to start learning what that sounds like is take your mezzo forte and think, I'm going to play louder, okay? And then call that your forte. Then just think, I'm all out rocking, that's your fortissimo. Then once again, take your medium uh, regular playing volume, take it down a notch, and call that mezzo piano. Okay. Then think, I'm going to play quietly and make that your piano. Then think, I'm going to play this as quietly as I can and still make it sound like something. That's pianissimo. Now practicing those, you can simply take a groove and just run up and down that scale. You can take 16th notes on your snare and run up and down that scale, so for the marchy things that we do. Um, various things like that. And try jumping from one to another. Try try jumping over one to another. Try a gradual crescendo, starting at the very quietest, getting to the very loudest, and then a gradual decrescendo, starting as loud as you can and going down to as quietly as you can play. Now, What makes this difficult to really do for a lot of guys, especially, again, if you're kind of a basher, is keeping all of that in time. So it's vital that you practice with a metronome at not that fast of a tempo. Try something very slow and notice, probably for most of you, as you slow down, or I'm sorry, as you get lower in volume, you will slow down. Um... Some guys may rush a little bit because you're not moving the stick as far, but what usually happens is you'll slow down as you get quieter. You'll speed up as you get louder. Um, Try to stay right in the groove. Play a really nice, um, deep pocket as quietly as you can and see if you can make that happen. It's very, very challenging. Then you can start thinking about ways of keeping the sound full even when you play quietly. That's kind of a trick because um, much like the rods kind of take out the fullness of a drum, some of the things that make a drum speak and make cymbals sound good is that they're hit with some authority. So how can you do that on a drum and still make it work? Well, this is really difficult, but practice keeping a rim shot in your backbeat even at very low levels. That brings out that sound of the snare that you're used to when it's a big fat backbeat and that'll keep that sounding kind of full. With the hi-hats I find that if I put more of the shoulder into the stick even when I'm playing very quietly and maybe ease up the pressure a little bit on my foot that um, it's not going to be washy but it's going to sound more thick like I'm I'm really playing. Symbols in a low volume situation, you're going to want symbols that are thin and that react 
easily, even when you don't hit them hard. But you got to learn how to get a good crash, you know, even at a low volume and make it sound like, okay, this jumped out, but it didn't jump out over everything. Cymbals are going to be your main offender when it comes to getting in microphones and things like that. So if you can back off the cymbals in proportion to the drums, a lot of times the toms and the kick drum can still be hit with some authority and it's not going to cause the, the volume issues that make everybody want to put up a glass. So practice those things and see if you can um, see if you can make the drums sound like they sound to you, you know, like they sound like you're really doing it, but very quietly. And then when you're in a situation where it's low volume, maybe you can start to change some people's minds. I hope so, because again, I, I can't stand being in the bubble. But anyway, so try some of those things out and let me know how they work for you. And if you're a sound man and you disagree, you know, shoot me an email. We'll talk about it. All right, moving on. Okay, in our final segment today, we're going to get into the basics of rhythm, the basics of reading rhythm and understanding it. For those of you who don't read, I hope you'll bear with me because, frankly, I couldn't do what I do if I didn't read music, and it really helps me. I don't have the time to listen to 20, 30, 40 songs and hopefully remember them all. I've got to be able to write them down and read what I see, and it's just helped me immensely to be literate in what I do and to have the same understanding of it as every other musician. That's the main thing. You know, you could call notes anything that you want as long as everybody else calls them that too, and then you can speak the same language. But somebody already did all the math. Somebody already figured out what to call everything. Somebody already designed a language for us to speak. Let's just speak it. It's the easiest way to do it. So... On my website, johnnydrums.com podcast, for the posting of this episode, I'm going to include a PDF download of a worksheet that I give all my students that's basically just the alphabet of rhythm, okay? Um, A lot of this people have seen or, you know, have referred to even if they don't formally read, and so this is probably nothing new, but just to make sure we start at the beginning, I'm going to start at the beginning. So... We have all our different notes, and we have all our different rests, and it's really simple. A note means play, and a rest means don't play, right? And they work fractionally. So, dealing with 4-4 time, a whole note is four beats long, like this. Okay, now if you played a if you played an instrument that had sustain to it, that actually means hold that tone for four beats. It would actually be longer, like bum. But for us it just we hit on beat one and it continues, right? Okay. One whole note makes two half notes. They sound like this. Every half note 
is going to make two quarter notes, and they sound like this. Every quarter note is going to split into two eighth notes, so that gives us two notes for every one beat, and they sound like this. Every eighth note is going to split into two sixteenths. That gives us four notes on a beat, and they sound like this. And then finally, every sixteenth note will split into two thirty-second notes, and they sound like this. You're not going to use that a lot, probably. <laughs> Hopefully, if you want to work.、Um, now, the way that a rest works is exactly the same way. Each rest shares the name and the、um, value of the note. So, if I want to take a sixteenth note away, then I'm simply going to write a sixteenth rest, and that's the way this all works. It's just the alphabet of rhythm, and you can see that by Mixing and matching all those different kinds of notes and rests, you can express most of the things that we're going to play. So, study that worksheet, listen back to this, understand what you're looking at, and then we'll start talking about how it all fits together next time. Okay, so in closing, here's what we have coming up on the next episode: more Bible study, more talk of dominion and drumming. We're going to talk about church gear. And start talking about how do we deal with it, and、um, how do we handle playing an instrument that is not our own and maybe isn't set up the way we like, and things like that. We're going to continue with the fundamentals, and I'm going to expand from reading rhythms to the basic rhythms of all the music that we play. Hopefully, we'll also have some emails to read. So send me an email, Johnny at JohnnyDrums.com. With questions, comments, concerns, things you might like to hear me address.、Um, obviously, I'm available for not only discussion like that, but also for online lessons. So, if you want to get together with me over Skype, I'd be more than happy to start teaching you some things. Okay, great. Now let's close with a word of prayer. Almighty God, who has given us dominion over your creation. Graciously grant that we would exercise our calling with diligence, offering our work to you in thanksgiving, and that by so doing your name would be glorified, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.